welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Hi, Paul. How's your week been? My week has been pretty well. I actually parked a car in the garage. How about yourself? <laughs> Getting out of those moving boxes. I remember that feeling. It's been a while since I've done that. How's your week been? Yeah, pretty good. I think I mentioned this last week, this month is pretty sleepy because everyone's on leave and taking kind of two, three weeks off. So finding time to meet with people can be quite hard. I'm also like booking things four weeks out because everyone's just blocked off their calendars, which is nice because I get to get through some things I've been sitting on my to-do list for a long time, which is good. Yeah, I concur that it's sleepy because it's, I'm pinging you to record early because it's Friday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> and I can actually say yes to it. Yeah, it's always funny when you see people complaining on Twitter about having like more than eight meetings in a day. And I'm like, that's just my normal day. That's just how I roll. It is what it is. And on in other news, it's a new fiscal year. So there's all these new announcements coming out. So everyone's like dropping giant mailers in our inbox which has been quite exciting to see what the field are going to be focusing on this year and um, how that affects us from a Microsoft 365 developer platform perspective. So it's exciting. It's really cool. So our listeners are in the right place to hear about these news as it comes out, right? Because as it's ready for public consumption, we will find the folks to share it with us. Yeah, my, my lips are sealed on the field ones. There was some pretty cool news today. I didn't actually know we were doing this. Um, and I've been talking to that team for a bit. Um, we've been trying to get them on actually to the podcast but they just i think you found this news right the blog about visual studio yes yeah this it came out i think around the build time frame maybe but yeah so i think we should talk about what we're talking about right so it's a uh, titled build apps for microsoft teams with net and this is really the microsoft teams toolkit for regular visual studio 2019 that's in preview. Well, the toolkit is in preview is what they're saying here, but it's basically a, an extension in the VS marketplace for a big visual studio to cover some of the same stuff that we have seen them demo in VS code. So nice to see that. To like file new teams app and then kind of gets all the, yeah. I didn't notice they got an easy way of just instantly adding SSO, uh, add teams, FX, simple auth, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, but they do have a, a library and then of course a, a single line of code in your services or configure services method, which kind of rubs me the wrong way because it's black boxy and when things don't work or we have a complex app, it's hard to figure out, but it's a good first start. The, the source is on GitHub, so you can go read it and tear it apart. Then yeah, yeah. you can certainly do that. So I look forward to this maturing and aligning with Microsoft.identity.web and the other MSAL stuff as it comes out. So good to see it moving along for those of us who do C Sharp. <laughs> And this is basically for, for tabs, right? I shouldn't say this really covers, basically covers tab development. Obviously, bots, has had, the bot framework has their own projects, but this is around getting a, a web server hosting your tab and doing all the necessary pieces with Teams. Yeah, that's neat. Tottenham and Blazor. Look at that. Boom. And then um, there was a post that came out on June 22nd, which was improved API support for working with files in the SharePoint recycle bin. And what's interesting here is, is this one sneaks on the office developer blog and not the graph developer blog because it's not graph it is um the sharepoint client libraries i guess do you have this scenario when you're working with files um, with the work you do generally no however uh I, in the past yes <laughs> and so um this, this blog post reads of something that a, a big a big isv or a big si or a big customer needed some kind of capability so it was added and then 
but not a, not a lot of hay made out of it because it doesn't mean everybody. But what caught my attention, though, was that um, to read stuff that has been deleted in the recycle bin, right? For performance reasons, if you're querying for a site or a web or list or folder or whatever, you're not going to get things that are deleted, right? Why would you? But if, if sometimes if you need that for whatever reason, you need to extend the call with the header. And then the, the if you read the change log in SharePoint, there's some behavior differences there as well. So they're, they're documenting all of that. And this is interesting to me, right? It's a long time ago, I wrote a blog post about the change log and I actually have put that changelog support into the community library because I do have one program out there that runs that uses it. So um, I just wanted to make this available to folks. Hey, there's some some changes and it's uh, X dash headers in the request that that need to do to say, hey, include the, the recycle bin stuff. So if you need it, you really need it. If you don't need it, well, that's no big deal, right? Yeah, it's one of those edge cases. And then um, Tony Balkin's team, who I work with quite a lot at the moment with our TAP program, because we're kind of getting more of our ISVs through this. It's all about this Microsoft 365 app certification program. And I will say that the ISVs that have been through this, where they've published or verified the app so that when you sign into the app or you consent the app as an admin, you get the nice badge saying, this partner is a legitimate business and not someone trying to, you know, scrape information from you. And then the self-attestation, which is more about someone filling out a form, which is on our website that basically shows what privacy and controls they have in place. But the certification is actually, um, we go for a process of looking and looking at your code and the data flows and the architecture and things and validate it in a variety of different checks. And this blog post goes into more detail about that. Now, we should really get Tony on the podcast. So I will reach out to Tony to schedule it where he can go in more detail about the types of checks it does. And yeah, the feedback I've definitely had from ISVs that have been through this is it makes the sales cycle easier because it gives the admin more confidence because Microsoft has certified what they've done. Um, and there's an annual checkup as well. So it's not like they can just do the certification once. We had to do an annual checkup with them once they're certified. So it really helps with the sales cycle and giving confidence to customers in the app that they're deploying it is a valid, legitimate app doing what it says it, it does and not doing anything it shouldn't shouldn't do. Yeah, I would love to get him on as well because every developer on the planet's thinking, well, what does that mean for me, right? Do I, what do I need to do or what do I need to share and what do I need to code around? So it'd be great to get someone on who can get us developers on the right path. Yeah, that's right. Because, you know, it's really important. And, and I've seen a lot of ISVs I speak to that say, you know, like there's a, many things that they get asked to go do, like SOC2 and... Um, the ISO to 27001 spec stuff and PCI DSS, like there are three main ones that people often get asked before they will let them deploy into their environment. And part of this certification kind of gives that confidence that, that those levels are being met, which is really good. So yeah, we'll definitely get Tony on. What did you find out there in the community this week? Were your sleuthing skills? Yeah, and kind of in just to what I worked on this last week, I found a blog post from Johnny Riley that covers uh, getting output connection, outputting connection strings and keys from a bicep script so that you can use that stuff later. And for those who aren't aware, bicep is the next version of the Azure resource templates, ARM templates, if you will. And, and so this is a quite a common thing. If you are going to create a resource as part of a template, you might need that, the, the connection string. You provision a storage account, for example, and you want to be able to access that storage account. So you need to put its connection string in your key vault. Well, having it all be one 
script and it certainly makes it easy. And so I stumbled across this blog post because I needed to output something from a, from a bicep script. So great to have uh, the Johnny Riley put that out there. So we'll put a link to that out there. He's got some other, a couple other blog posts that might be interesting to folks as well with uh, Azure Ebits. So nice to see that uh, quick little tip. And the other community link I found is from Michael Svensson. Michael was on the show a couple of weeks back talking about search, and he updated a script that will force a re-index of user profiles into the search service. And so this, again, this is not necessarily graphy things, and it's not the brand new search stuff that is coming down the pipe. But if you are leveraging you know, the user profile properties in your search environment, this is helpful. And so he's uh, fixed this up to work with the latest and greatest. So thanks, Michael, for doing that. And also, you didn't call your own blog post out. I saw you post this week uh, another Stream Deck tip with uh, time zones, which <laughs> I actually do. I have, like, because majority of my team is on the East Coast, so, like, Montreal and Washington and I always get weird um, Brian lives wrong Ohio am I saying that right <laughs> and um, and then Costa Rica and then Mexico and so I just have them all as little buttons on my stream deck which is super useful but so if you've got a stream deck and you haven't seen Paul's blog post on these things you should definitely go check that out yeah yeah. there's a whole collection of posts that I've done on that so uh, yeah. the profile one gets a lot of, in fact I just updated the profiles because I had yet another environment I needed to set up so yeah thanks for that uh, not a developer topic no, but that's right it's all about productivity right exactly and sometimes the productivity means I don't want to move my keys off the keyboard so <laughs> that's awesome yeah so that, that, there we go and then uh, on the show this week I was able to another European guest so Jeremy was a you know, in his dream world, but uh, Elio Struff took time to, to chat with me this week about his doing his work and using Microsoft Graph and all kinds of the whole, the whole stack, really. And Elio's a longtime uh, SharePoint developer as well. We did reminisce a little bit about our first meeting uh, on this podcast when it was just you. <laughs> and if you remember back in the day, we were we were both in, on campus and yeah, we sat down right. and chatted with a bunch of folks. So it was great to have him on. Thanks to Elio for doing that. And hopefully you folks find it uh, helpful. Yes, cool. Well, enjoy the, your weekend of like not living in cardboard boxes and uh, we'll see you next week. All righty. This week on the podcast, I'm delighted to welcome Elio Struff. Hey, Elio. Hello there, Paul. Thank you for having me. Uh, well, so as usual, why don't you correct the pronunciation of your name? Because I always screwed up. So and, and tell folks a little bit about yourself. <laughs> okay. No worries. No worries. It always happens uh, that way. Uh, no, my name is Elio Straff. So that's the Dutch pronunciation. Currently, I'm working as a, yeah, on founding my own company called Squirrel. It's in the startup phase, uh, very cool things with Microsoft Teams and also working together with Microsoft for startups there. So uh, we got into a new program, um, which until a couple of months ago, I didn't even know it existed. So, and besides that, I'm a cyclist that is now recovering from an injury on my back. So... <laughs> So a lot of time to rest these days. Well, and it, fortunate for me, when, when you start a company and you start a product, you probably don't have much free time. So it's quite fortuitous for us that you get a chance to come on the show. Thanks for doing that. A couple of things I want to unpack there. So so welcome back to the show. I should say, I, I do remember 
you and I were both on the show with Jeremy. I remember at a restaurant at an MPP summit. It might have been yeah, your yeah, first yeah, one yeah. ever. Yeah, way back in the day, you know, when we could talk to folks in person. <laughs> so welcome back. Yeah, when I was still talking about display templates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a long time ago. Anyway, so a couple things uh, in your intro I want to talk about. So this Microsoft for Startups. Uh, can you give us an overview of what that is? Because that might be interesting to some of our listeners. Yeah, so Microsoft for Startups is a program uh, where you actually have to pitch your ID or your startup, if you already have a startup company, and you pitch it towards Microsoft, you say what your idea is, you say what your company, your product is doing, and then they will review your request. And when you got a get in, you get full support from Microsoft on helping with your company, uh, rising them to the, or rising your company to the next level. So what does that mean? Coaching from Microsoft on the technical side, on the marketing side, sales sites, and so on. Because like for me, I know the technical part pretty well, but what are the things that I need to do on the marketing and sales side? So these things, uh, is something the startup program can help me with. And this is what they do with the coaching program there. There are other things. They recently reviewed everything. So you get also some credits on Azure, uh, some licenses and so on. Pretty nice if you are yeah, starting your own company and you don't have to think about all the money that you need to spend for running your services. So quite nice. <laughs> Yeah. So when I started my company a couple decades back, I wish something like that was around. It would have been helpful. So that, that's excellent. And now the, the startup that you have, you mentioned Squirrel, which is an, an app that I've seen in Microsoft Teams app, but give us uh, an overview of what that is. Scroll, in a nutshell, it's a way to organize your digital workplace. The reason why I came up with that idea was when Last year in July, August, I was a little bit overwhelmed with the team that I was then working in. And I worked in a company with only 50 people, but I was part or a member of 20 different teams and 50 different channels per teams or whatsoever. And I didn't had any idea on what I had to focus on anymore. So I went to a couple of colleagues and I said, how do you work? And the answer I got back was like, yeah, I just try to search and I hope for the best that it comes out. And I said, no, there needs to be a better way. And that's when I started thinking about, yeah, there, I'm going to build that way and I'm going to build a proof of concept and I'm going to showcase that to a couple. And they were like, yeah, this is something you need to really start building and, and productize. Squirrel in the end, right now, it's in a beta phase and it provides you a way to create collections and bookmarking uh, to any kind of information. Is it notes? Is it to-do tasks? Is it chats in uh, Teams and so on? So we want to be wherever you are working. Like if you're in the browser, Squirrel will be in your browser. If you're in Outlook, Squirrel will be in Outlook. So that your focus maintain, keep, it keeps maintained on that application that you're using. And also always know where to look for your information. Okay. And so based on that, it sounds like it is a Teams app and or a, an Office add-in. Yes. Fair enough, right? Yeah. Okay. And, and so I assume then, since you're in this productivity space and dealing with apps, you, you make a little bit of use of Microsoft Graph, right? Can you give us your feedback a bit about, so here it is, you know, in mid-2021, how is your experience working with the Graph? It's funny because uh, every month I have a call with Vesa and uh, Waldeck around uh, the same topic. And I think the graph is, is 
it's a nice tool uh, that you have, and it's a much easier tool than what we had before when you had to talk with many different uh, APIs. Um, but there's one thing that is always hard, and that is authentication. Uh, authentication is always a thing that works a little bit different in your environment. And in my case, uh, Squirrel runs inside Microsoft Teams, also runs in a web uh, as a web app, but also runs in a Chrome extension. So there are three different ways of authenticating, and you need to make them all work in a very seamless way. And, and that was a tricky part. Like, yes, it works in Microsoft Teams, but then you break it in your web app or vice versa. And that's something, yeah, now I got everything covered with routes and, and so on. But it was in the beginning all like, oh, I'm going to open Pandora's box and... <laughs> well, see, the, the, that's a kind, I haven't heard that theme in quite a while with the improvements that the, the identity platform has provided. But yeah, I think what, what the, the trouble is, right, Teams will let you get an identity token in a certain way. But if you're a Chrome extension, you're not in Teams, it, you're on your own, right? Is, I, I think Correct. That, yeah. What I'm hearing is it's it's those edges, right? The edges around the identity platform that can be difficult, right? That that's that's fine. And I guess in your scenario, based on what you're telling me, it's mostly delegated permissions, right? So you you always have to figure out who the user is, right? Correct. So that's at least what I'm trying to do: uh, get the lowest of the permission sets, and then maybe in the future come up with other permissions that we require in order to do more. Uh, like we also are thinking about proposing content that you really need to follow up with, but that's something where we need a higher level permission that an administrator needs to approve. And that's what we are not thinking about in the first place, uh, because otherwise, typical users and users cannot really install the application. So we want to start really low and then um, go step by step up uh, from the moment. Yeah there is an administrator involved, then maybe they can give that kind of permission sets. Yeah, yeah and that's a typical paradigm, right? The, 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 well, there's two ways to, to eat the apple. You can take little chunks around the edges and work your way in, or you can just take a big, huge bite out of the middle, right? So I can, I can certainly under, appreciate that. Now, which workloads do you interact with using the graph? It sounds like you're touching a little bit on each of them, right? I touch mostly uh, the team side. So uh, Microsoft Teams getting chats, getting um, conversations, meetings, and so on. I touch the files API uh, to retrieve yeah, which files are attached and so on. And for the Office add-in, um, it's all about exchange. So it's all about yeah, the mail and the deep linking to the mail. Excellent. So I know you've published a few Visual Studio Code extensions. And so I'm guessing these came out because of your trying to explore and understand how, how to call Microsoft Graph. So first of all, what Visual Studio Code extensions have you published that folks might find interesting? <laughs> I, I got a lot of them. So um, I started doing SharePoint framework uh, extensions in Visual Studio uh, just to see how easy it was. And then I really fell in love with yeah how you can create uh, these extensions. Back then, um, I started doing uh, my blogging on a static site. I created a tool called uh, Front Matter for Visual Studio Code. So if you have a static site and you want to manage all your content from within um, Markdown and from within uh, Visual Studio Code, there's Front Matter that can be used. You can do all the category tagging, slug optimization, title, uh, SEO, and so on. It's all there. And then I got a couple of others for the Microsoft Graph. Uh, one 
was the Microsoft Graph com Auto Completion um, because I saw myself going to the uh, Microsoft Graph site quite a lot, a lot of times just to check, hey, what endpoint is available? Or if I do this, what can I do next? And then I thought, isn't there a better way instead of me just going to the documentation or to the Microsoft Graph Explorer and inside Microsoft Graph Explorer, you get auto-completion already. So I figured out how they are doing it and I brought it back over to Visual Studio Code. Now you can use the REST client and then uh, use the APIs, automatically get them auto-completed and so on, or just write your, your call and it auto-completes there as well. Uh, after that, I started using the Microsoft Graph Toolkit, um, so really good library of components for you to use. Um, and that's where I then say, uh, said, okay, there's nothing yet for Microsoft, uh, for Visual Studio Code. So I created a uh, Visual Studio Code plugin for that as well. So auto-completion uh, around the web components uh, and so on is also there. And then I'm now working with Louisa Frieza on uh, the Microsoft Writing Style Guide. So Microsoft has a style guide on how you can write your uh, documentation, your text, your news articles, and so on, uh, in a better way uh, that it's non-biased, so certain terms shouldn't be used in some cases, and so on. That's something where I'm currently working on with Louisa to see uh, how far we can uh, make it uh, go. It's like the Grammarly, but then for Microsoft. Excellent. and. Then the autocomplete extension is the one that I use all the time, right? And again, with REST client and, and for folks listening and, and maybe for you, there's an update to REST client that it was, well, there was a PR was committed just this week in that it would allow me to do a scope that is the API colon whack, whack, good. <laughs> so if you're trying to get back to your own custom API endpoint, you can now do uh, the scope in, in the, in its token acquisition. But I, I digress. So that, that, that's certainly one that I use all the time because I find it easier in VS Code to copy the, the response and paste the request, uh, JSON, right, instead of going all the way to the browser. So excellent on that. Now, the Visual Studio Toolkit is next I want to touch on. So obviously, we've had the, the folks from that team on the show quite a bit, but you're the first external that I've heard who's using it extensively. So what's your feedback on, on the toolkit? Easy to use? Hard to use? Like it? Love it? Hate it? It's a mix. It's, it's a really cool... Uh, thing to use and I definitely recommend everyone to try it out. There are uh, really good things in it like uh, the authentication provider. Um, they recently changed it and I'm using that one as well, but I created my own wrapper around it because I'm in that special scenario. The toolkit is, is really nice in the sense of it's uh, built up via, via web components. So where Office UI Fabric, uh, everyone complained about it, that it was React first. Okay, there was a JavaScript uh, one as well, but nobody used it and they they deprecated it. Uh, but then you had Office UI Fabric in React and then everyone complained, yeah, but I cannot use it in Angular or I cannot use it in my HTML or whatsoever. And now it's just purely web components. Pretty nice, uh, but that's could make things a little bit more complicated because these web components, they render their own shadow DOM and you don't always have full control over the elements that are in there. Uh, like for instance, I 
a persona card wasn't correctly rendering in my UI because there was a diff that I couldn't style uh, because it was a template coming from that web component. They are working on it, so I'm sure that they will figure out a way to overcome this. Uh, but for Dress, yeah, it's pretty easy. Uh, the only thing what you need to look at is, like, for instance, the persona card, um, they don't tell you in upfront which kind of permissions you need. And then if you start opening your persona card, all of a sudden it says, hey, I want to read the user's calendar. Maybe you need to know that upfront. And, and that's the only feedback that I gave them. Like, I want to know what I'm going to use so that I can automatically send all the requests of, at the first time instead of doing it um, asynchronous or more when you start to use it. Yeah, certainly a better experience uh, in that regard. But now the, the thing that I've struggled with, well, I, I don't do UI design, so that's, I struggle with that a lot. But but do you use the, the built-in components primarily or are you just using their MGT get and styling it yourself? I, I used both of them. Yeah, the MGT perso uh, person cards, uh, the agenda. I used it for something, not for Squirrel, but somewhere else. Um, I did a couple of them where I overwritten the templates. But from the moment you start to overwrite templates uh, within it, then it's sometimes better to just write your own one. So if you, for instance, do the persona one, then you start doing five or six of these different components because of, of the requirement to override that one simple thing, but that's six levels deep. And then you need to start from the top and then go to the bottom. So if you need to, or if you can work with the default ones, works perfectly fine. Uh, like the team channel picker is a really good one because yeah, it's already there. You can just pick the channel that you're a member of and you're good to go. But yeah, if it comes down to styling or to changing some elements, yeah, templating is an option, but it's not always the best styling can be done. Uh, they allow you to use CSS variables and so on. So you can override anything there. Yeah. So certainly not going to be me overriding. <laughs> they don't let me, <laughs> they don't let me change the way things look. That's uh, excellent stuff. You mentioned that you you know, have a bunch of, of, of HTML stuff here. And, and so what is the program stack that you use or, or the view framework, if you will, in the HTML stack, just so folks have an idea of the types of things that you're doing? Is this Angular or is it React or both? Or No, no, no. I'm using uh, React. Um, from the moment, the first time that I started using React, I really liked it. I, I did some Angular in the past. I even gave trainings around Angular. I'm not going to say that it's a bad framework. It's, it's a really good one, but I feel more comfortable in React because I can just do whatever I can do or want to do because Angular, you need to, you can also do that, but Angular already comes with a lot of these tools, tools and bells and whistles that you can use. And that makes the framework a little bit more bulky. In, I feel. And React doesn't have that overhead. So I love to use an, um, a, a scaff scaffolding uh, tool uh, called next.js. Uh, so a better or, or like the create React app tool on steroids. Uh, so it allows you to do lots more. It has automatic uh, server-side rendering or hybrid rendering or client-side rendering all built in. So you can just configure that, um, dynamically load components and so on. It's all there. So I'm using that most of the time. It's React-based, uh, works pretty nice. And then on the backend, uh, it's all about Azure Functions, the functions 
most of the things happen inside uh, the bots, inside the React app. So the functions is only there as a proxy for calling uh, the Microsoft Graph and so on. So it's not that there's a tremendous amount of work over there. So, and also with our Cosmos DB library uh, database. So that's interesting, right? And I, I, you're yet another person I'm hearing who's reverting back to this method we did back back when OAuth first came out. I, I remember a lot of folks who were getting token getting tokens on the server because it was a familiar paradigm with the client secret, et cetera, and then just using you know the uh, uh, cookies or whatever to, to communicate back to the that user client. So it sounds like that's kind of the architecture you've settled on as well, right? A lot of the a lot of the token acquisition or the graph calls happening uh, in the server. Or serverless. <laughs> yeah, and the reason is Microsoft Teams because Microsoft Teams. Uh, in in the beginning, I did everything on the client side, so token fetching and so on. Um, but then, from the moment you want to have single sign-on inside Microsoft Teams, the first thing you need to do is use the on behalf of Flow. So Microsoft Teams will log you in. You get an an identity token, and that's a token that you need to send over to your Azure function. And then from your Azure function, either you can do your calls to the Microsoft Graph or you send back an access token and then your client can do all the token or all the calls with that token. So in that case, yeah, it's, it's your choice where you want to do your calls. But if it's already there in the server side, yeah, then you can also keep it in the server side. It's not that we keep it there because we always use the identity token and we just, uh, pass it along. And sometimes we also do it on the client side. Um, but it's the way that Microsoft Teams has driven us to go um, because of that single sign-on experience there. Yeah, you know, and I'm glad you said that because I really haven't heard too many people communicate that again, right? What you get from Teams and SSO is not going to let you call Microsoft Graph, right? No, so, no. Yeah, so one, I, I, if you could just repeat that one more time to make sure it's clear to folks. So what's that? How's that flow working or what's that process that, that, that's working between Teams and, and Graph? If you want to work within Teams and Microsoft Graph, so in Teams, you have a couple of flows, but only if you're going to do the real SSO flow, because before they called uh, three flows the SSO flows, uh, but two of these flows were just the OAuth flows, the implicit flows. So let's forget them. The real SSO flow is where you register an Azure AD app. You register your Microsoft Teams clients, both the uh, the web clients and the desktop client, which is the same, and then your mobile client as an application that is authorized to retrieve an identity token, token from your app. You register your URL inside your manifest of your Teams app. And then the moment your end user is going to use that, Teams automatically knows, oh, this app is trusted, so I can go and fetch an identity token for you. You get an identity token from Microsoft Teams. And it just says, oh, I'm Elio. And that's it. And then you need to pass it over to your service. And in your service, you're going to verify, is it coming from the right place? Is it really you? Do you have permissions and so on? If so, then you're going to use that together with your client ID and secret in order to fetch a real access token for your user. And that's the access token you can then use for calling the Microsoft Graph. Yeah, thanks for spelling that out because I think that uh, folks will find that that pretty clear. And so, w when you are doing um, the token acquisition, I know we're diving deep into the authentication bits, but um, are you using the MSL library? You roll your own. You're using the new add-on libraries. How, wh what's your approach? No, no, no. I'm using uh, the MSL library. 
as I'm using the authentication library of the Microsoft uh, Graph Toolkits, they come with MSOL. So I think it's even MSOL2 these days. So I'm using that one. Yeah, excellent. Um, you, you mentioned, of course, that you're using server or, um, functions and, and Cosmos, right? The, the, what other, what other Azure resources are in play and which ones do you think, uh, developers should be sure they're, they're taking advantage of? Uh, Azure Front Door. It's a simpler way than using uh, the uh, API management. So uh, putting your yeah putting a door in front of your Azure Functions. So my Azure Functions cannot be called directly. So for DDoSing and so on, but also for global scalability, um, because Front Door is available in every region. So then it's you calling to Front Door and then Front Door redirecting everything internally inside the Microsoft data centers. So. Initially, it should go a lot faster. So that's uh, that's a really good one. Besides that, there isn't really anything more than that apart from our app service that is running for our bot because our bot is running on a separate instance. Also, feedback that I've given to, uh, to Microsoft uh, Teams on uh, that side. Some parts of the bot are yeah, just a redirection to open a form. So I shouldn't really need a bot for these kind of things because it's just saying, hey, here, you need to go there. <laughs> so it's a little bit of overkill. So it's a very low service uh, that is running there, but it's still running there. So I need to keep uh, keep it and maintain it. Uh, for the rest, yeah, there. that's mostly it, what we have on our uh, application side. So... So, what does uh, what future kind of things look like? Uh, obviously, we don't need to disclose all your product plans, but um, do you see more and more services coming out, or more and more places for your app? A little both. What, what 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 kind of things are you thinking about? Oh, there are many different ways in order to grow. All will be decided on how many people that are going to use it, and we we see it as something that starts from the end user, but that can grow to team usage or company usage. There are multiple ways there. And we already had a lot of feedback from, I think currently we have 120 beta testers. We had a lot of feedback on, yeah, we want sharing. Oh, I want to have uh, sharing across company. I want to have guest users in and so on. So it, it all depends on that. So uh, the authentication part becomes very interesting when it comes to guest users, also multi-tenant. Uh, that's also something I still need to talk with uh, Microsoft about because if you have an app and it's your personal app and you go to another tenant, that is not there because you're in that other tenant. So that's why we also have the web app so that you never lose it. It would be cool that you can just take something with you when you just go from tenant to tenant or that runs outside of a tenant, but still in your Microsoft Teams. One thing that we are currently also looking at is uh, searching. So we are using Azure Search, but it would be better to have a good combination of Cosmos DB and Search. So a more tightly integrated service would be, yeah, would be great. So now it's two separate things that Exact have the same kind of content, and because it's needed. Yeah, yeah search is big. Fortunately, there's movement in the search, right? And we talked about this in the last couple of episodes about some updates coming to the the search experience in various different ways. So yet yet another, yet another vote for the search. I, I, certainly, we we've come across that as well. So, uh, well, that's excellent stuff. And um, the last, you know, you didn't mention it when you first you 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 are a Microsoft MVP for the PNP work, I presume, right? So you're still involved with the PNP team. 
I still try to do some work on the controls, uh, but I must say uh, Alex there uh, is doing a tremendous job. Um, I just don't have the time uh, for it anymore uh, because of yeah, changing jobs. In my previous role, I I got a little bit overwhelmed with work, um, so that's that's why. And I also need to mention Joel, uh, which came onto the team a couple of months ago. Um, he's also doing a really good job there. So both of these guys, they do all the work, and then from the moment the things are finished, then they yell and then they say, "Hey, Elio, release!" And then I'm <laughs> I'm jumping and I say, "Okay, I'm uh, going to release here." <laughs> so I'm then doing the release packaging and uh, putting it out there. But all the work is done by these two guys. Uh, for the rest, yeah, I try to still be involved, try to still share uh, the things that I encounter, and I give back to the community with, like for instance, the VS Code uh, extensions and yeah, anywhere I can. I try. Well, we certainly appreciate all your efforts and thanks so much for taking time out of your less busy day <laughs> to, to hop on to the call. Um, you're the first, you're the first guest who said yes to every potential meeting time that I submitted. So <laughs> thanks for, thanks for, uh, thanks for taking yeah, my calendar is empty. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's pretty easy these days. Like, yeah, no, yeah, no, nothing, nothing. <laughs> well, thanks so much for coming on. appreciate the insights and uh, look forward to chatting again in the future. Thank you very much for having me. It was uh, great talking to you. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at m365devpodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks. 